0: Thanks for coming out, Um, really pleased that you guys trekked out on a freezing cold night to get stuck into Deuteronomy. Um, Mike obviously sends his apologies, he's got a hand, foot and mouth and he's got like, he sent me this disgusting picture of his feet and they're like covered with like sores, like he said he's preparing for the next series on Job, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what you make of that. But, um, um, I'm I'm really um, excited to be like just sharing a little bit about Deuteronomy, um, like because I didn't really know that much about it before I started studying it, and the stuff I found in there is just gold. Um, I don't know how you guys find like like reading the Old Testament and um, if you're anything like me, sometimes you can read the Old Testament and you kind of read it like, you know, there's all this stuff that happens, you know, rules and things that people follow and and about, it must be about following rules to get right with God and and it's almost like God is like, like this nasty, like almost, you know, really constantly cranky, like, ruler who's just always upset with people and gets wrong and like... To me, reading Deuteronomy is like absolutely slaps that, like absolutely changes that, puts it straight on top of its head. Um, We've come up with, well, Mike's come up with, and I'm claiming credit for it, um, this as like Deuteronomy in a nutshell, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Unreserved love in response to undeserved grace. I think unreserved love, most people, when you read that, you think, oh yeah, unreserved love, you know, like. Really loving God, doing you know doing what He says, and so on and so forth. But how about the second bit in response to undeserved grace? I think one of the beautiful things about Deuteronomy that we're going to be talking about, and I'm hoping that you'll see, um, have is um, is <laughs> it never works, does it? So um, is that you'll see that it's really a book that's through and through in so many so many ways, all about grace, and um, I'm really hoping that you'll you'll see that as we get stuck in. So I thought we'd start with a question. uh, Why on earth would someone get excited about Deuteronomy? Like, why should I be excited about Deuteronomy, even just before we get started? Um, Well, there's a few reasons here. First one is that when it comes to thinking about God, like, Deuteronomy, um, it's not actually a a book of laws. Like, you know, most people, the name Deuteronomy, it's a Greek translation of... um, or well, when it came when the book was translated from Hebrew into Greek, actually, uh, back in about the 4th or 5th century BC. And it means second law. Um, in Hebrew, that's not actually the name of the book at all. But the name of the book in Hebrew is actually These Are the Words. Because Deuteronomy is actually a sermon series that Moses gives. And we're going to be talking a bit more about that a bit later on. Um, it's a sermon series, but it's also this, like, like, like theological masterpiece of, of Moses, um, he's had 40 years thinking about God, thinking about God's promises, and he kind of condenses it into these three last parting words, uh, three last parting sermons that he gives to the people of God before they go into the promised land. Um, so it's, it's three sermons series, and because it's three sermons series, he's got like this neat pastoral insight. In, in some ways, it's almost more similar to John's gospel. John read his gospel um, right at the end of his life, like when he was a very old man, and he's got all this reflection about Jesus and Jesus' life. So he always drops these little clues in John's Gospel about these little theological points he's trying to make all the time because he's just been thinking about Jesus and Jesus' life his whole uh, latter years of his life for many, many years as he writes John's Gospel. Um, more than that, it's Jesus' favourite book. Um, it's absolutely Jesus' favourite book. Um, I've got this quote here um, uh, from Daniel Block just talking about how it's a, a theological masterpiece. Um he, he talks about how um, the you know the psalmists praised it. Um, so many psalms and things that you read in Deuteronomy or um, read in the in the Bible um, give reference to Deuteronomy. In fact, um, it's not only Jesus' favorite book; it's the Old Testament's favorite book. All the Old Testament writers constantly referring back to Deuteronomy and the things that um, Moses writes in Deuteronomy. The prophets are talking about it all all the time. Danny Block says the psalmist praised it. The prophets appealed to it. Um, faithful kings ruled by it, and righteous citizens lived by it. In short, Deuteronomy provides a theological base for virtu- virtually—that's not even a word, <laughs> virtually the entire Old Testament. So it's like all the Old Testament writers are constantly, constantly, constantly referring back to things in Deuteronomy. And I think you kind of miss a big part of reading the Old Testament if you don't actually know what they're talking about. Um, these three sermons that, that Moses gives. Um, why should I be excited about Deuteronomy? Well, I thought you know it might be neat to to help us to see what effect that has, um, to know that Old Testament writers are constantly referring back to Deuteronomy, just to see a really neat example of um, where they where they do that. And um, a really neat example of it is in uh, this comes from uh, Deuteronomy 17. Uh, 15 to 20 and I'm going to see as I compare it with another passage and in this passage um, of Deuteronomy actually uh, Moses is talking about kings, he's talking about submission to your parents and he's trying to unpack that by talking about uh, kings and the practice of kings and he talks to them and he says you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers you shall set as king over you You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up against his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom and his children in Israel. So in one sense, this instruction Moses is giving is pretty clear for future kings, all right, no horses, you know, don't collect lots of wives, um, don't hoard for yourself lots of gold and stick to the word, right? Pretty clear, pretty straightforward. But interestingly, then when we read the account of King Solomon's life, take a special note about what the writer of Kings chooses to pick about describing Solomon's life. He says, firstly, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. Solomon is hoarding gold to himself. Interesting. Next. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with, king and with the king in Jerusalem. Interesting. He's collecting horses. Why, why pick these two things? It goes on. Now, King Solomon loved many, what? Foreign women. Now, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidian and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. This is a quote from Deuteronomy. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Isn't that interesting? That when the writer of Kings writes his account of condemnation against Solomon... He picks every item in the list that Moses wrote in his speech. So time and time again, we see the writers in the Old Testament evaluating people according to Moses' speech to them in Deuteronomy. And so I think if we don't understand what Moses is saying to us in Deuteronomy, we, we kind of miss the richness of the Old Testament. I think the, the last thing that I, I wanted to say, um, um, well, the last couple of things, um, I mentioned to you before, it's Jesus' favourite book. The centre of everything that Jesus teaches um, is his great command. You know, People ask him, what's the greatest command? And, and he says to them time and time again. Um, you have got uh, one example. It's in all four of the Gospels from Matthew 22:36, And Jesus said to him, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know, when Jesus says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and with all your soul, that's Deuteronomy 6.5. Um, Jesus was a man who, who lived in Deuteronomy. He he based nearly all of his teaching around Deuteronomy. And and in fact, um, a lot of the stuff that we then read about Jesus, he's gonna, he talks so much about the heart and, and and wanting to not just be all about doing the Lord, but actually about loving God with your innermost parts and and this, again, is one of the central things that we'll find Moses talking to us about in Deuteronomy. You know, the reason why the name Deuteronomy is like kind of unhelpful is because it's not about law, actually. It's very different. It's uh, unreserved love in response to undeserved grace. That's the message of the book. So I think, again, these last two points... Um, this unity of the Old Testament and New Testament, we're going to see that it's not just suddenly like God just like changes his mind completely and in the New Testament starts acting completely differently. Um, That suddenly he starts talking about grace. Suddenly he starts talking about um, not about obeying laws but suddenly about about, you know, being saved through trusting in God. Like it's like we almost think like God's like almost a different person when we read the New Testament. But it's not the case. It's so not the case and we're going to see that as we read Deuteronomy. Um, We're going to meet Yahweh in the person of Jesus. You know, that's one of the things I've been so challenged about um, as we get started, and I want to pray for us, Um, is that, like, sometimes we can think about um, Jesus and about the Son of God as being somehow just coming on the scene in the New Testament, as though somehow he just suddenly arrives in the New Testament when we open up the pages of the New Testament and he's just in heaven with God, um, not doing much before that in the Old Testament. And yet, one of the things I've been challenged um, just this week in thinking about and what I want to pray for us, because when we open up Deuteronomy, I mean, most of all, I want us to see Jesus more. I want to see us to see Jesus fresh, is is that Jesus, in fact, has always been with God and always involved with God. And Jesus is um, not just like the smiling face of God with a mean God behind, but Jesus shows us most clearly what God is like. And when we see Jesus clearly, we see what God's truly like, his mercy, his grace, his compassion. More than that, no one's ever seen God because God is the Spirit. It says, but Jesus has made him known. And so when we see in in Deuteronomy Moses meeting face-to-face with God in in chapter 5, we know that Moses is meeting with the pre-incarnate Christ. He's meeting with the Son of God. God's Word become, well, yet to become man, but God's Word himself. And who is the one who, as we read through Deuteronomy, who is who's watching over God's people, who's instructing them, who's crying out for them to be faithful to him and to love him in response to the love he's shown. It's it's Jesus Christ. It's God the Word, God the Son, watching over his people with his people. And so I just want to start by praying before we get really stuck into context and, and thinking about this book, that just God would speak to us and that we'd just see something fresh in So why don't I just pray for us before we get stuck in. Lord, we just want to thank you... Um, this evening, for your word to us in Deuteronomy. And um, we want to thank you for the amazing word and the surprising to us, Lord, word of grace. And Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us here, Lord, um, probably tired from uh, long weeks on hump day, Lord, and I just pray, open our minds, open our eyes, help us to see Jesus a bit more clearly tonight that we might love him even more better. And um, Lord, we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, let's set the scene um, for Deuteronomy. What's going on? What, what, what's the context into which it was written? Well, it's really the last of the f- five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. You may or may not be familiar with them. The first is Genesis, and it talks about um, creation and fall, um, how God makes the Lord and everything in it, leading up to um, man turning his back on God early on, leading to, after many years, God choosing this pagan old man and making these promises to him, Abraham, and promising that he'd make him to this great nation. The book of Genesis then ends with Abraham's descendants being in Egypt in slavery. And in slavery, they exist for 400 years, and we get to the next book of Moses, the next book that Moses wrote, second book of the Bible, Exodus. Which recounts this people that are 400 years in slavery, where the ruler has forgotten uh, about Joseph and all the good God's people have done, and they're in bondage and slavery. And God promises to His people. He raises up Moses and calls this people out from slavery through these miraculous signs. These, you know, the ten miracles that God performs through Moses, and they go out and cross the Red Sea. And God meets them on Mount Sinai, and and makes this covenant with them, this promise with them. He makes this promise that he's going to be their God and they will be his people and, and gives them these kind of, like, kind of they're literally in, in Hebrew called words words from God, ten words ten commandments that they're to follow, they're to keep um, this is what it says in Exodus nineteen four to 6 um So God meets Moses on Mount Sinai and He makes this covenant with Him. Like what? Another way we can think about it is like an agreement, like a treaty, and and it has kind of uh, details or treaty details. You see, um, in Exodus we see God making this covenant at Mount Sinai, and a covenant was something that was really actually quite common at the time in in uh, the. 15th century BC, Near East, and in fact, later than that as well. A covenant, I guess another way you can think about a covenant is kind of like a peace treaty. I've got this kind of picture here. This is of uh, a uh, famous Assyrian ruler called Sargon II, who was around in the 8th century. And he's the dude with the obviously with the hat on and the staff. And he's got another guy coming to him with his kind of his arm out. And it's a picture of them actually making a, a pact, making a treaty. You see, you'd have these mega kings super kings who would come through lands and they'd just conquer them. They'd just smash them. And then what they do is they'd smash this kingdom, they'd kill people, they'd take loot and bounty and everything and they say, all right, what we're going to do now is I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to put uh, a ruler in my stead in your, in your kingdom and we're going to have a pact, we're going to have an arrangement. If you keep the rules of my arrangement, if you keep my covenant, these terms and conditions I set to you, then I'm going to be at peace with you. But if you break them, then well, it's gonna be game on and you're gonna you're gonna hear from me. And that's what a covenant was. And and so God in in a completely different sense to what the people around them are doing makes this covenant, makes this pact, makes this treaty with um with the people of God in Exodus. He makes this peace treaty. But you get to like six chapters ahead in Exodus 32, and already like they're turning their backs on God, they're having this massive orgy, they've built these like gold calves that they're worshipping, and Moses comes down, you know the scene, and it's sin and rebellion, and he just smashes those Ten Commandments that have been written down for him in fury and anger. And, and as a result of what they did back then at Mount Sinai, they spent 40 years roaming around the desert. We then move on to the third book, which is Leviticus, which is all about the covenant conditions, which is all about the rules for priests and tabernacle, the place where God's going to dwell and operating in the temple. We move to the fourth book, which is the book of Numbers, which is recounting the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness. And the reason why it's called Numbers is because they have these censuses at every point because God promises that all the people that were like, turned their back on God are not going to enter the promised land. And so there's a census after census after census, where they count to see whether or not all the previous generation is dead yet. Because when they're dead, then they'll enter the promised land. And they finally reach the end of 40 years and the census comes at the end of Numbers and all the previous generation have died and it's time to move into the promised land. And that's when we reach Deuteronomy. So the context is... um, well, actually, let's, why don't we just go to the start of Deuteronomy. I mean, you can read from me on the screen. I do want us to eventually get into um, actual opening our Bibles and reading it for ourselves, but let's, let's do the lazy man's way and, and um, read from the screen for now um, and just see how Deuteronomy introduces itself. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days journey from Horeb, that's another name from Mount Sinai, the mount where God made the covenant, by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. It's 11 days journey. What does it say next? In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them after he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Erdri. Beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbours in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev, And by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them and to their offspring after them. It's interesting, isn't it? It says, the journey between Horeb and Kadesh Barnea, where Israel is now camped, is 11 days. And then it says, in the 40th year, a journey that should have taken 11 days takes them how long? 40 years because they turned their backs on God and so here they are they're in this camp Kadesh Banea right on the outskirts of the promised land Moses is 120 years old he's an old man he's at the end of his life and they're just about to cross across into the promised land so you can see here on the map um, just where the maybe I can show you with a cursor just where the top of or just around the top here it's the um, Another name for this place is the desert of uh, Abba and they've travelled this 11-day trip all the way down around here to where they camped out now in Kadesh Barnea before they enter into the Promised Land. And one interesting thing I just wanted to note from what we saw before, it says that Moses undertook to explain this law. The word in Hebrew is Torah and often we translate the word Torah as law. Um, it comes from actually it comes from a word that means yara, uh, which is the Hebrew root, which means to, in- to teach or to instruct. And so it's probably better rather than saying Lord, I actually say instruction, because this is what this book is really about. They're just about to enter into the Promised Land, and Moses is giving them three sermons that are designed to instruct them about how they should live, how they should relate to God in the Promised Land as they come into the Promised Land. Well, let's move on quickly. We've set the scene. We know where the people of God are. Let's look at some of the characters. We love the characters um, in Deuteronomy. First, how can we say no to Moses? You'll notice that um, key feature. This is a painting by Rembrandt. Um, he's cranky there, isn't he, Moses? Old, Mo- The old Moses. Um, or we're having a modern version, maybe Charlton Heston. Um, yes, powerful Moses. A key feature you'll notice in all of these is the beard. We don't know whether or not Moses had a beard, but, but... I think you know it's been so ingrained in pop culture. We probably should have a beard, shouldn't we? He? <laughs> Salman Heston. How can you go past that? Moses. Moses is such an interesting character in the Book of um, Deuteronomy. Moses um, has been leading Israel for 40 years. 40 years he's led Israel. He's an old man. He's 120 years old. And interestingly, he's actually quite bitter as well. He blames Israel six times for God being angry with him. Time and time again, he blames them. This one here. He says, At that time I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord your God of your fathers make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. But how can I bear myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? He says. He goes on again. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunnehah. He shall see it, and to him and his children I will give the land to which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the the Lord. Even with me the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Again, he goes, even with me, because of you, the Lord was angry with me and said, you're not going to go in. Like Moses is not taking responsibility here. He's blaming them. He is, he is bitter towards them. And he goes, and I love this one. Um, this is Moses with God now. He says, And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O oh Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant, your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and my acts as yours. Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan and the, hill, and the good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. The Lord just like totally rebukes him and says, I've had enough of you. Don't talk to me about this anymore. So I think it's great. We get this picture of Moses that's like, he's like, he's so lifelike. He's so full of character, isn't he? Like he's not just like some like pure, like innocent guy. He's a real person, you know? And and yeah, he is bitter. But at the same time, he's also wise. He's got 40 years of pastoral insight into leading these people. And that's what we're going to see time and time again is he just sees beneath the surface with uh, with the Israelites. He just knows them so well. But it's not just uh, Moses. The other characters in this, in this uh, book is Israel, Israel themselves. And what do we learn about Israel? We learn that they are stubborn. They are so stubborn. Um, Moses says, So I lay prostrate before the Lord these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord, do not destroy your people and your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember, Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin. And I love this one here because it tells you about Israel, this next one, and about Moses again as well. And he says, For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are, Behold, even today while I'm yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? He's like, I'm here with you now and you're still turning your back on God. How much more when I die? You're just going to carry on. You're going to escalate, says Moses. The people of God are rebellious. They're stubborn. The word in Hebrew is like stiff-necked. It's like a neck that's stiff that can't be turned. Hard-hearted. It's like a word picture of like a rock. Like what can you do to change a a rock or a stone. like You can squeeze it, but nothing's going to happen. They're hard, they're stubborn, they're rebellious. And the biggest character, of course, that we meet in Deuteronomy is God himself, Yahweh. Um, Yahweh is all in all in Deuteronomy. The whole book is about Yahweh. It's about a call to love him. It's about a call to honour him with your whole being. It's about Yahweh's longing for his people to to be faithful to him. It's about Yahweh's redemption of his people. It's about the grace he's shown towards his people. Um, Moses says this, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So how often do we think about Old Testament as just being following laws? And yet what we read in this passage today is that straight away... Moses is not only calling the people to love God with everything they've got, but saying it's not even about following rules, it's about heart change. It's about what's going on inside here. That's what God wants. So they're the three main characters we meet in in the book of Deuteronomy. Well, we're going to talk a little bit now... um, about structure I do want to break at some point but we'll get through a few more things just to set us up and I think in the second half we're, I want to talk a bit more about themes and things that run through the book to help us to know how to, how to read Deuteronomy and, and um, some of the juiciness that, that's inside I guess it's a real hard in this isn't it we just want you to get a little taste of what it's like so you can just get stuck into it and, um, and just enjoy the goodness um, like I keep saying um, Deuteronomy is this collection of speeches that Moses gives um, it's a sermon series, really, um, a sermon series with little bits of information stuck in between. And there's these beautiful themes that come up in the sermons. The biggest and the majority of the book is is the second sermon. It counts for, uh, I'd say, well over half of the entire content of the book. It, it runs from the end of chapter four all the way to twenty-six. So it's about twenty-one out of the thirty-four chapters in the book um and each of the sermons have these beautiful grace rich themes that that they that they run through the first sermon that uh, Moses gives um, really it 's all about um, not being afraid but trusting in God and Moses looks back at all of god 's goodness all the ways in which God has been good and he just he just pleads with them just to really trust God and remember what he 's done um, here's just a little favorite quote of mine. Um, out of the first sermon. He says, Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. He's talking about all their enemies around them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness, where you've seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. And in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God He went before you in the way to seek you at a place to pitch your tents, in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you which way you should go. Moses says, just trust in God. Remember all the ways in which God has been with you. Remember how he carried you. Isn't that a beautiful image? As a father with his son. He carried you the whole way. So don't be afraid, guys, is Moses' first sermon to the people of Israel. The second sermon, which accounts for most of the book, is, is really interesting. And the more you sort of unpack it, the more interesting it is. It begins with the law, our reissuing of the commandments, the ten commandments that, that Moses gave in Sinai. And he then moves from there to quite consecutively unpack them and explain them and really to show you the heart behind each one. And he doesn't it nearly it's not perfectly in order, but but very much I mean nearly exactly in order. Um going through them one by one after the other. The most extended one is obviously on the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before you, which is where we see like chapter 6, where, where um, um, which is where the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, where God says, I want all of you. Chapter 7, which we'll move to look at um, later on, which is all about how um, I chose you and it was of no goodness of you whatsoever. Chapter eight, which goes on to talk about more about how, remember how God has shown mercy and kindness to you even when you didn't deserve it. Remember how He's been gracious to you. Chapter nine, which then goes on to talk about how it was never about your righteousness or good or goodness that God chose you, and it really unpacks um, the heart behind um, the first commandment, which is grace and God's desire for for their hearts. Chapter ten, you need to take this law and circumcise your hearts, Moses says to them. You need to see this heart change. It's not about following the letter of the law. It's about it's about actually loving the Lord your God with all you have. And, and he goes on through all them. You shall make no, uh, not make idols. He talks about um, under not making idols uh, about right worship of God, how to rightly worship Him. The, the things that Lord commands. And it's just so insightful at times. Like, interestingly, and it brings such life to understanding um, the Gospels as well. You know, um, I was reading in uh, Mark uh, Mark's Gospel about how um, Jesus um, heals a man that has a withered hand and how all the Pharisees and Sadducees are around him on the Sabbath um, waiting to see what Jesus will do and because and they are wanting to test him. And Jesus looks around and he's so angry and he says, is its it, is it is it right to do good or wicked on the Sabbath? To heal or to murder? And then he goes and heals this man and the Pharisees leave and they they, they plot to kill him. When you read um, Moses' unpacking of uh, the fourth commandment, you shall keep the Sabbath, it's so interesting. And this is just one example of Moses giving you the heart behind the commandments. Moses talks heaps about remembering God and remembering all the goodness, remember how he redeemed you out of, Israel, remember, and he gives them all these different things that they're meant to do to remember God on the Sabbath. He talks about all these things, festivals. He talks about tithing. He talks about all these different practices they're meant to do on the Sabbath. And out of all these things they're meant to do, is they remember on the Sabbath, what are the two things that he focuses in on as a consequence of their remembering that they were slaves and God redeemed them? The two things that he keeps harping on about on his exposition of of the Sabbath is caring for others and celebration and what do we see Jesus doing on the Sabbath we see him caring for others and we see him celebrating his, his disciples are with him and they pick the grain don't they and they eat when, when, when you are meant to be fasting and not doing work and it just brings such a richness when you then read about the, the Pharisees and what they're saying to Jesus making up all these laws and being so angry and hard about him keeping rules on the Sabbath when we see in Deuteronomy this was never what the Sabbath was about but there's such richness that we read um, in this second sermon as Moses goes through each of these commandments and um, I'm going to give you a handout so you can see a bit more um, about what the breakdown is and we're going to do a devotional on each in the series um, that we go through. As Moses brings the heart behind each of the commandments, what was God's heart in each of them? And then the third sermon which Moses gives which is really talking about how... Um, how he knows that they're just going to make a meal of it, but God is going to continue to extend grace to them. Um, well, what's it all about? We've mentioned it before. I want to take you back there again. Um, unreserved love for God in response to undeserved grace. That's the, that's, that's the message of Deuteronomy. Unreserved love for God is what it calls people to time timing. He wants their whole hearts. He wants their whole beings. And there, it's in response to undeserved grace that he extends to people. Um, we're going to take a break now Um, I want to give you an opportunity to um, sign up um, as well in the break if you haven't so far so I'm going to come back and leave this link on the screen if anyone hasn't signed up yet just um, type in that in your phone and you should get a web form which you can sign up to receive the devotionals Um, there's not very many of us but what I thought we might do leave you with as well on the break is give you each of a a passage because I want to spend some time just getting stuck into Deuteronomy and just reading some of this stuff for ourselves and um, and um, seeing it. Because I know that people, this idea of undeserved grace in Deuteronomy, really? Like, is that really there? I want you guys to see it, right? I want you guys to experience it. So what I want to do is um, for you to get, maybe we can divide you into four, maybe roughly, I don't know how we're going to do it. We've got four rows, pretty much. We can go... How about... <laughs> oh, man, who's better at this than me? We're just... <laughs> <years. five> <laughs>
1: All right,
0: beautiful. We got one, two, three, four. Get into groups here. One, two, three, four. Okay, this group at the front, I want you... Um, when we come back from the break or over the break, you can have a chat amongst yourselves. Read it now and maybe chat amongst yourselves for a bit. Um, grab a drink, get out. We'll have a good-sized break. Seven, six to nine. Then this group at the back, Deuteronomy 10, 14 to 16, around where Taylor is. This group over here, I want you reading, Deuteronomy 31 to 6. Okay? And then this group over here, 32, 9 to 14. Okay? Is everyone clear about what they're doing? If you're not sure which group you're in, just pick a group. You Say, I'm in with you. There. Um. Excellent. Pick a group, grab a drink, have a chat. We're going to have a good-sized break. And just what I want you to think about is Where do you see the gospel of grace in that passage as you read it? All right, all right, guys, take a seat. Let's let's get stuck in. Um, Who wants to go first? (laughs) Why you? Why don't you start by start by just reading it out, just so everyone can hear. It needs to be a big voice. Might want to stand up.
2: If you have you got your Bibles, there you can open them up as well. Chapter seven.
0: Are we okay to keep going, or do, do people need more time?
2: Do
0: you guys need more? Do you need more time, or?
2: Okay, Ollie's ready. Good man.
0: All right. So.
3: Um, Deuteronomy 7, 6-9. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured, treasured possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath and swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a manly hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love to those who love him and keep his commandments for a thousand generations. So we're just saying, once you can just leave that out, it just shows so much of God's grace anyway because it's clearly saying that there's nothing from these people that he's chosen them. Even though they're the fewest of all peoples, they clearly doesn't make them any better to choose
0: because so they, they all screw up anyway. Um, yeah. It's just all just God's hand and His work to, to love them. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, great, isn't it? I like the fewest of all peoples. You could read that as well as like the weakest of all peoples. So God is saying like. It's beautiful, isn't it? Like, it's not anything to do with you being like this impressive nation I'm choosing you. It's purely because I love you and because I made promises to your forefathers, your ancestors, who, Abraham, is just this random old pagan guy. Like, there's no particular reason or goodness in Abraham. It's just God decides, yep, I'll have you. So, it's about election, isn't it? God's sovereign choice of Israel purely what's well, a mystery, but it's grace. It's his love. He set his heart in love on them. Who's next? Um, you want to read it out? Oh, 10, chapter 10. 14.
1: Behold, the Lord your God will heaven and the heaven of heaven, the earth with all in it. Yet the His heart in love on your Father's, Shows their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are this day. circumcise therefore the force of your heart and be no longer so. It's the
3: same kind of thing as the first passage um, that is of no real reason. The Lord is devoted to them and love them and shows them continues to.
0: Yeah. That's it.
3: Even though he's
0: right. uh Yeah. I own all heaven and earth and I just set my heart in love on you. That's and, it. Yeah, because
1: there's nothing that done. it's not an idea. As he loves you big love you big love you beyond. That's it. Mm.
0: That's it. Absolutely. Yes, no. Stumbling. Oh, it's there. <laughs> you know, you just feel for Moses, like so the scene is in Meribah, he, um, he, he has a staff and the Lord says strike the rock once and to feed him. Israel's complaining about not having any water. And so he strikes it once and then you can see they're saying, oh, where's the water? Where's the water? he's like, ah, smack, second smack. And then God like, says, you did not listen to me. No promised land for you. And Moses is like so upset. keeps blaming them. Like it's because of them that I was angry and did it. And like it's so good, isn't it? So like life. <laughs> 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 it's so real. Like I just love it. It's, it's just so much life in it. It's not something you make up, is it? That your fearless leader would would um, be this whinging old man. Alright, good. Uh, who had chapter 31 to 6? You want to read that one? when all these things
3: came upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you called them to mind, all the nations where the Lord your God has given you, and returned to the Lord with your God, you and your children, and have made his voice in all that I command you today, all your heart your soul, and the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you gather you gain from all the people that the Lord your God has gathered you. If your outcasts are uh, in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you, and the Lord your God will bring you into
2: Awesome.
3: So you see here yeah yeah
2: yeah
1: yeah
0: isn't that cool God says earlier in chapter 10 circumcise your hearts guys like you need to take this to your heart and then in chapter 30 he says but God's gonna actually be the one Do it in the end. You're gonna mess it up, you're gonna be scattered everywhere. He's gonna gather you back, and he's gonna change your heart. Isn't that cool? And by the way, guys, this is just four, like there's a heap more than this as you read through. Um, guys, 32, 9 to 14. Could you sing it for us? (laughs) It's a song, so you know.
3: Um, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is a lot of heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. And no foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land. And he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock, and oil out of the fruity of curds from the herd, and milk from the flock, with of lambs, rams, hushan, shining goats, with the very finest of the wheat. And he drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape.
1: So yeah, the comic is kind of written in the summer of Moses. And interesting thing was that how that song was written, um, you know, in the chapter four, about um, you know, saying to the people of Israel that um, you know, now that I'm alive, you guys are rebelling. If I die, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna, um you know, falling even further. So this song was meant to kind of remind them of of um, um, you know, even as you fail, as you rebel against God, um, this song is going to speak to them and of remind them about who God is, and I think the verses in, in verse 9-14 um, is about God's love for them, so in, in, despite their family their and their, their future values, yeah, this song can remind them that God is there to care for them. Yeah. Um, so it's an, an amazing picture of, of grace uh, and God's care and love for them, despite their values and future yeah, So.
0: Awesome. Um, it's also like a picture of how God formed them as a people like the picture is is that God found them wandering in the desert alone and kind of by themselves and just like a wing like an eagle with its wings he comes and gathers them together and cares for them and forms them and makes them into the nation that they are you know it's just this picture of just mercy like he sees them and and has mercy on them and cares and protects them so it's cool hey like to see that the grace in um, Gideon, someone can it's the time has gone on the on the heater, so <laughs> it's going to get sub-zero <laughs> any second. So Jack. Yeah. Um, I might need a jacket. Yeah, very soon. Um, there's heaps of themes, um, and all the themes are kind of interconnected. But I wanted to spend some time just looking at some passages um, and some of the ideas. This last one of covenant, I think, is really really neat. Um, Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, but just to look at the themes that run through run through Deuteronomy to see, you know, what are the big brushstroke pictures of what God's doing? It. We, we know there's three sermon series. We know a uh, three sermon series. We know that um, it's a book about grace. We know that um, the setting of the being on the plains, um, just before they head into the promised land. But but what are some of the big um, issues? So firstly, grace. But it's not just like grace um, in the past, but grace present and grace future as well. So I thought it might be called cool to um, look at some of these different ways in in which he says it's grace in election. Um, the passage the girls read before um, uh, about it not being because they're a superior nation that God chooses them, um, not because they're a might a mighty nation. It says in in the in the next chapter, in chapter eight. Um, let me read it it's awesome Um, 17 to 19 chapter 8 17 to 19 beware lest you say in your heart this is so good my power and might of my hand have gotten me this wealth you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. God says for the future when he's going to bless them. um, You need to remember that it's me that gave you the blessing. It's not any good thing in you. It's not because you're superior or more mighty than other people. It's just my blessing and my promise and my goodness. Um, That passage, what we read before, 9, um, 4 to 5, not because of your righteousness. Actually, did we read that? I don't know if we did. Because you writes this, oh, this is like one of the like classics of Deuteronomy. It's so good. Let me read it for you. Turn um, with your Bibles, chapter nine, verse four. Um, Moses says, "Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you." This could be. If you read this and didn't know, you could easily think this is one of Paul's letters. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your your heart are you going to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord is driving them out from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. How good's that? God says to his people, he says, I'm driving out the nations before you and it's not because you're good. It's because they're so bad, I'm going to use you as an instrument to destroy them. So don't say that it's because you're good that God is going to do this for you. It's not. It's not because of your righteousness. It's because of my determination to destroy these wicked people and it's because I made promises to your fathers that I'd keep you as my treasured possession. It's just so good, so rich. So not because of the righteousness, it's election. God chooses them. Um, He elects them, chooses them because of grace. You know, we might think that the doctrine of election is something that's just in the New Testament. It's not. It's the way God's always operated in and through his world. Um, Secondly, salvation. Time and time again, we'll see these passages talking about how God saved them from... Um, from Egypt first and foremost. He's brought them out of slavery um, to Egypt. In that classic massive um, passage where God just like smacks it down about how his God and no one else's um, God, um, that's the big, the big theme is, is how he's saved them out of Egypt. God says this, So he says in 4.32, "'For ask now of the days that are past, "'which were before you since the day "'that God created man on earth,' And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders and by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did you in Egypt before your eyes to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God there is no other besides him how good's that God says I saved you from Egypt and why it's not because you deserve to be saved because I I saw you and I thought Oh, pity on you guys you're really good people this is a sucky situation you don't deserve to be there it's no I did so that you might see that I am God and no one else is it's grace um Again, he saves them from their enemies. That's uh, chapter 1, 29 to 32. You can read that. We read it before. It's that picture that um, Moses gives in that first speech of his where he's talking about how they shouldn't be afraid because God has carried them like a father with a, with a son. God has protected them. He's, he's held them. He's literally, it's like in battle, he's like he's carried them through the opposition lines and protected them and kept them safe. And um, one of the great ones that comes up time and time again is not only has God shown grace in saving them uh, from their enemies, but also from themselves. And that passage 9:25 to 27 is where Moses, for five days, is on his hands and knees before the Lord and pleading with God not to destroy them. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Because they're wicked. And God's saying, I'm just going to wipe them out. Uh, they don't deserve to live. And Moses pleads with them. And God should wipe them out, but says, I'm going to extend grace. Um, So, grace and election, grace and salvation, and grace in formation, in forming them as a nation. And that's really what that song um, with the picture of um, God, uh, we read earlier with God coming down as an eagle and and covering them with his wings and bringing them together. He saw them and just had pity on them when they were in the wilderness. He formed them together as a nation. Past grace. It's not just past grace, it's present grace as well. Um, One of the things you might not realise, like we talk about the law as like these 10 words that God gives, 10 commandments, as almost like, it's like, oh, like, man, like, what a burden for Israel that they're this law that leads to death. You know, Paul talks about it like in Romans. And you might be tempted to think as though the law is like a bad thing, but actually the law was God's grace to his people. The law was his uh, His gift, a gift to his people. Um, read that passage with me, chapter 6. Verse 20. Um, He says, um, When your son asks you in time... This is after he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us to do. Hear that, verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good, always, that he might preserve us. What's the heart and purpose behind the law? God gives it to them as a gracious gift. It's his gift that they can know his will and it's designed to prosper and bless them. Um Secondly, not only as um, a gift for their good, but also God shows them grace in the present, um, in atonement as well. Uh, That passage, chapter 21, um, verses 6 to 9, it's talking about a situation where it's um, Moses unpacking the commandment about do not murder. And he looks at what to do in a situation where um, someone has been murdered and they don't know who did it. Um, And one of the things he unpacks in this, when he talks about murder, is this idea of blood guilt the guilt of innocent blood. The idea is that that blood that is spilt from an innocent person stains things and leaves a stain that's impossible to wash away. And so God gives them this gift um, in that situation. He gives them instruction about how to make one with God, be made unified with God, to be atoned to God in that situation. And he instructs them to um, take this um, heifer that's never been used before, never been worked at all before, an innocent heifer and to take it down to the valley the elders of the city closest to where this man who was murdered was found to take it down to the nearest valley and they had to break its neck and then what they are to do, all the elders are to stand over the heifer and they are to wash their hands and say, Lord, we are innocent of this man's blood um, make atonement for us, make us one again with you and so part of the picture we see of Israel is that nation has got blood on their hands. They've killed innocent people that don't deserve to die. They've been unfaithful to God, they've hated others, and their hands are stained with, stained with blood, and yet the Lord in his mercy extends grace and allows them to be made one with him again despite the fact that they don't deserve it, they deserve to be punished. Um, and again, God shows grace in the present with protection. Um Another passage that talks about how God's protected them from their enemies. It continues to protect them. Um, But it's not just past grace. It's not just present grace. A thing we see in Deuteronomy is future grace as well. Um, God promises them a land. Part of the big um, idea in Deuteronomy is obviously it's about a land. It's a land that if the people are faithful in following God's instructions... God says not I'll save you He never promises that. He says I'll bless you I'll make I'll make you abundant I'll multiply you you'll, you'll be prosperous you'll never go without food there'll be no hungry amongst you um, you will be blessed and people around you will be blessed in and through you I mean it harks back to the promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 3. Um, God promises that he will bless them He'll give them a land, You'll prosper them in the land. And and so in chapter twenty eight, a passage one to six, you see blessing after blessing after blessing that God promises to give them. Um I want to read it out because it's it's like it's so full on. Twenty-eight, one to six And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out the Lord is going to bless you in every way he says if you're faithful if you follow my instructions and finally with redemption and with salvation God promises not um, that they're going to have to work for it and earn it but he promises that he's going to give it to them as a gift of grace even in the future when they run away from him he's going to bring them back in that passage we read earlier so grace is a theme redemption is also a big theme um Redemption means to purchase back. It's the idea of paying the price um, that someone who's a slave, who's the property of someone else's, needs to be paid in order for them to be purchased back. And redemption is a massive thing in Deuteronomy. Firstly, and the one that we see all the time, and time and time again, is out of Egypt. God says, you know, I redeemed you from the land of Egypt. It means you were slaves, and I paid the price to, to pull you out of there. I've made you my treasured possession. I bought you and took you as something that's precious to me. Um, you were in slavery and in bondage and I took you and I like made you my own. Um, and so time and time again, um, God promises them that he's going to redeem them and pull them out. And, and he promises them always, he's always going on about remembering that, remembering that God has purchased them back out of slavery, remembering what he's done for them, remembering how they were enslaved and and that he's pulled them out of that. And that's that passage that I was talking about, um, about the Sabbath, how God um, says, I want you to remember all these things that I've done for you and the result of that is to be compassionate and care towards others. Um, The reason why I bring it up is because I think it, leads into the second sense in which God is looking to redeem his people. And I'll just read you that passage 15, 12 to 15. He says, he's talking about, he's talking about care and compassion towards people that are in slavery to you or um, entrusted to you. He says, if your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman is sold to you, he shall serve you for six years and in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free You shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. And why is is it that you should bless him so? Why is it that you should release this slave and then not just release him, it's like you furnish him with good gifts as you release him. Why? You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this day um, to do this. God says, I want you to remember, constantly remember where you came from, what he's done to you, how he purchased you back. And the fruit of that is care and compassion towards other people. Um, and that's the second sense in which God redeems his people. It's not just that he redeems them out of slavery, but also he redeems them from themselves. In slavery to hard hearts and stiff necks and and people that are at, at anonymity to him, Um And it's so, like, Jesus-like, isn't it? Like, um, Jesus has always gone on and on about um, heart as being the root of all these problems. You know, Matthew 12, 33 to 37, Jesus is talking about is, you can tell a tree by its fruit. A bad root bears bad fruit. And just in the same way, um, it's not about following rituals that a man is clean or unclean. It's about the fruit of his heart. It's about what's within it's about what wickedness is inside. And chapter 15, Matthew 15:10, 15, where the Pharisees are criticising him for not washing his hands and he says, you know, whatever goes into your mouth just comes in, goes to your stomach and passes out the other end. It makes no difference. But what defiles a man is what comes out of his heart. Malice, greed, envy, bitterness, murder and strife. These are what defile a man. Jesus is so on about fixing people's hearts, having hearts that are redeemed, hearts that are bought out of slavery to sin and self. And like we read before, God promises that in the future he's going to bring a heart change. Um, a neat passage that we haven't read yet in, that talks about this um, is in 29 chapter, uh, chapter 29, verse 4, where Moses says, but to this day, he says, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear, Moses looks at the people and says, the Lord hasn't yet done that work in you yet. He hasn't yet given you that heart. And in 30 verse 6, he will go on to say, the Lord is going to circumcise your heart. He's going to give you heart to hear. So we see we see um, redemption, God's promise and plan to not only save a people out of slavery, but to redeem them for himself, to mould and shape them. Lastly, and this is the one uh, we're going to finish on, and um, which I just think is awesome, um, is the idea of covenant. And um, we talked about before, like covenant, like a peace treaty covenant, like, a, like uh, the terms and conditions, like a contract, like a, a formal relationship between two people. And that's a big theme running through this book. But it's not the same as the nations around Israel. Covenant in Deuteronomy is very different. Covenant, um, firstly, is about trust. God wants his people to trust him, to keep his word, to, to have reverential fear of him and to look to him. And he wants righteousness as a response of that, as a response of righteous living, as a response of trust. And why is it so, you know, important? Why is this such an important thing? Um, I think because when we think about the Old Testament, we—I don't know—I I used to do it all the time. We think, like people, how did people get saved back in, you know, the Old Testament? You think, well, I guess it's because you had to do good stuff. You did lots of good things, and you follow God's rules and stuff, and then God would look at you and go, okay you're part of my clan, you're within within crowd, right? But reading Deuteronomy, like, that has never been the case. Obedience um, is part of God's covenant, part of the agreement he has, but it's not about salvation. In fact, it's explicitly not about salvation. Obeying God is not about being saved, about God uh, being being part of God's people. It's not that at all. It's, it's really... Uh, It's really kind of New Testament. Salvation is something completely different in the Old Testament. Um, Let's end by having a look at um, some of these passages um, that just talk about what obedience is meant to be. What's the function of having these laws um, that the people are meant to follow? Why does God have them? It's not about being saved at all. The first one is, is that it's a response to the privilege of knowing God's will. God says it's a privilege that you can know my will and my plan. So um, obedience, being obedient to God is meant to be a response to that, the privilege of knowing him. Um, let's read Deuteronomy 4, 6 to 8. Keep them and do them, for that will be, he's talking about the, the covenant, the The commands that He's given them, keep them and do them, for that will be be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? It's a privilege that God has given them these laws and statutes. And so God says to them, it's going to be your wisdom and the nations around you are going to see it and are going to go, wow, how amazing is this that this nation has this relationship with God. And so that's a cause of obedience. Um, a grateful response of the saved. Um, that passage again that we, we read before um 6:20 to 25. I just want to focus back in on that last verse, 24 and 25. 6:24, um, 25. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good, always, that He might preserve us alive as we are today. Um, he said He's He's commanding them to do it for their good to preserve them alive. That's the first point. Um, so it's meant to be a grateful response. But secondly, he says this in verse 25, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God. No, he doesn't say, and it will be our righteousness following this law. That's an important distinction. He doesn't say, if you follow this law, you'll be right in God's eyes. If you keep this law, you'll be somehow be able to be perfect to God. No, God says, I want you to have a heart of faith. I want you to walk in loving me with your whole heart. And if you do that, it'll be like your righteousness. It'll be like that you'll be the type of person, righteous person that I'm looking for. Someone has a disposition and a heart to love the Lord their God with all their heart. He's not saying follow all these rules perfectly and somehow then you'll be righteous. He's saying this will be righteousness for you if you do it. Um, it's meant to be an expression um, of relationship. And it's not meant to be a duty. 26, um, 16 to 19. Um, This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes. And his commandments and his rules, and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honour, high above all nations, that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he has promised. It's meant to be an expression of the relationship that they have with him. He will set you high above in honour amongst all people, he says. Um, Their following God's law is meant to be something that is like them on a pedestal, that the nations see them uh, obeying God's law and it's an expression of the relationship that they have with God. Um, next, it's an outward expression of an inward change. That passage 10.12, um, which talks about circumcising your hearts, God in that passage, circumcision was meant to be the sign of the promise. The sign of God's special arrangement, a physical sign. And God says, you know what? I'm not I'm not interested in that physical outward sign. I'm interested in, in you having my laws on your heart. I'm interested in your hearts. I'm interested in an in inward change. I'm interested in not just saying a lot of stuff but having hearts that hate me. I want you to love me, is what God is saying. Um and two other points an evidence of righteousness necessary for fulfillment of her mission and blessing. Um, 424 to 25. It's actually a really awesome one, this one. Um, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and the children's children have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God as to provoke him to anger. Um, sorry, I'm not sure I've got the right passage on that one. It, does, it doesn't It does matter. Um, the point is the same. Um, it's not meant to be... 624-25 um, oh, is the passage Is what it's meant to be. Sorry. It's a passage I was talking about before. He says, the important point that he says is that um, it will be as righteousness for you. It's not that it will be their righteousness. Uh, it's evidence of righteousness necessary for fulfillment of their mission and blessing. He says, it will be as righteousness for you and the nations around you will be blessed um, as they see um, the way in which they love and honor God. And again, it says in uh, 30, 11 to 20, he talks about how it's not up in heaven, this word. It's not so far away that you can't see it, and it's not so far away from you that you can't do it. It's near and present to you. It's a word that you're able to do. Um, so all this is to say that covenant in, in the Old Testament, obedience that God asks for in the covenant, is never meant to be about salvation. It's not meant to be about, um, about doing a lot of good things in order to be accepted by God, but rather as an expression of your love for him set your heart God has set his heart in love on you so set your heart in love on him that's how Mark Deva describes the book God has loved you and so I'm, I'm instructing you to do these things as an expression of the love that he has for you unreserved love in response to undeserved grace well that's all I've got for us today does anyone have any questions or anything in regards to the things we talked about Anything that's not clear? 424
1: to 25? <laughs> so you're saying uh, righteousness wasn't the means of their salvation.
0: Right. Or was the means of their
1: salvation. Grace. Not
0: all, yeah. yeah, but if not all Israel, Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're saying that, uh, you're talking about, Riley, about there being a physical Israel and like a spiritual Israel, like those that actually do follow and trust in God and so on and so forth. Um, what caused their salvation? Well, I think Romans 4 talks about Abraham believed God and was created to him as righteousness. So I think the means of their salvation was faith in God, which originated in God setting his heart in love on them and circumcising their hearts. So in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, in, throughout the Old Testament, I think we see that people were saved through God's mysterious sovereign grace, that he chooses, chose some people hated him and turns their heart in towards himself in love. Um, and so their obedience flows out of that salvation. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting because people confuse, in Deuteronomy, they confuse, it's a good point. They confuse all the you're going to read a lot about blessings and curses and all this sort of stuff. Um, people read that and go, okay, so it must be that you're saved by obeying God's commands. It never says that. It says, no, obey God's commands and you'll be blessed. never says you'll be saved. No. He says, trust in God. God's chosen you. He loves you. You're his treasured possession. You know, believe in him, follow him, and and God's going to bless you richly. Why why has he chosen? Why has he set his heart and love on them? We're not told just because of God's sovereign will. But it never says, obey these commands and you're going to be saved. Not once. God says I love you, now I want you to love me.
1: Mm-hmm. So I so tell me that when you read uh, say for example, um, chapter twenty eight. Yep. You know it talks about blessings so for obedience and then you talk about blessings so and obedience. Right. Talk about yeah, obedience and blessings. Um, so there's it's, it's no way of actually reading um that um, actually no one can faithfully which have, have Romans around no this. yeah, so yeah. Points could be one way
0: but um, yeah the interesting thing is that that passage in Deuteronomy in chapter 30 talks about that actually this word is right here for you it's not too hard for you is what Moses says to them and it's not so far away that you can't do it it's not vague and mystical it's right here for you um, you should be able to do it. So there's a balance there because in one sense we're held to account by God because God says, "My command, like my instructions to you, are not that hard for you. You should be able to do it." But in another sense, we're so far gone and so stubborn and stiff-necked that in reality we never do do them. So we're both accountable. We we should have been able to do it, and yet we're so hardened that in reality we never could. You know, it's both and the same at the same time. So. Yeah, the blessings and curses, it's not... God's not just saying, you know... I guess what what I'm trying to say is God's not setting up this system that it's, like, designed for you to fail at. He's not setting this thing up and saying, I'm making a covenant with you. It's impossible for you to do this, right? So I'm saying blessings and curses, but really you're only going to get the curses. (laughs) Because you can't do it. Ha, 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 sneaky. Like it's not like that. It's it's actually you should. I'm not asking that much of you. I'm asking you to faith, faithfully like walk with me. Like you should be able to do this, um, and this is how I'll prosper you if you do it, and this is what will happen to you if you don't. Um, but the distinction is not. This is how I'll save you if you do these things, and this is how. You know what I mean? You see the distinction? Yeah.
1: um, is is the picture of big love and big invisible. So they are on this side, and God is on this side. So he is in the name. We listen to them that if you come out of your sin, that's why he kept saying, remember. So if you come out of your sin, you are not going to be punished you come into grace right. and love. Um, so he's giving them that true picture. This is what is, you're going to receive, regardless of what you do. Right. Or you just need to come. Right. So he's giving them that big picture of God love, 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 and grace.
0: Right. That's great. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Katie. Mm-hmm.
1: Maddie. So on okay. that um,
0: righteousness
3: is always yeah. Yep. what do we do that?
2: Right, yeah, um, that's a great so question.
3: Salvation's always been the same. it's mm-hmm. um, so not through the law, it's by for us But the law brings blessing. Mm-hmm. should we then as Christians today for
0: people? Great, great question. Um, I think there's there's probably three things we, we need to do we read Deuteronomy, and it might have been helpful to say this up front. I think the first thing is you do need to read it as a sermon series to a specific people at a specific time, like two and a, uh, sorry, three and a half thousand years ago. Um, Moses is their pastor. He's addressing them in that moment, in that time. Um, the, the, there is a difference between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. This is one of the things I want to talk about, I forgot to talk about. Um, uh God makes a covenant with his people. It's about a land, it's about a nation, um, it's about a blessing and a prosperity for them um, in response to obedience and following him. That's the old covenant. If they obey his commands, he will keep them in their land and he'll prosper and bless them in his land and they'll continue to be his people, his treasured possession, um, which is what he's chosen to make them by his sovereign will. Um, For us, the the New Testament, the New Covenant we have is different. It's through, we know this, through trusting in Jesus by his blood. It's through Christ and Christ alone. It's no longer about a people and a land, um, a specific culture, um, if you will. Um, It's about being made right with God, yes, still by God's sovereign election, but through faith in him. And so a lot of the... um, yeah, the, what happens to the law then? Well, we're not following the law to be saved, um, but the Israelites were not following the law to be saved. Um, uh, but um, differently, it's no longer about, it's a, it's a different covenant because it's now about, it's a, it's a union with Christ that Christ offers us. It's a salvation through faith. It's a, it's a surer hope than the uh, people in the Old Testament ever had. Um, but it's also not any longer about uh, a specific land and place and people. So you find a lot of the Old Testament laws um, now are about um, things that pertain to them standing out as God's specific local nation. So things like um, uh, the ceremonies that God asks them to do, the way in which they're called to eat, um, um, different foods and, and things, rituals and things that are undertaken that that no longer functions the way we relate to God. We relate to God now through Christ, um, whereas God instructed them through the temple system. So I think we have to be careful to read um, back the the Old Testament laws through in light of the New Testament. And sometimes the New Testament is very clear about you know what we're meant to do. Um, and so we can look at what God was trying to do in this situation. So uh, an example would be like kosher eating, for instance. Kosher reading, If you read, as you read the um, the commands on taking the Lord's name in vain, is where it comes up, because honoring, uh, not treating God's name as worthless, is about how you live according to Moses. Um, it's not just about not saying swear words. It's actually about honoring him with your life. Um, and a big part of that is what you eat for them, because they're not to be like the people around them, but to show that God is different from all these other gods that are at war with each other by eating differently, not doing the same as the people around him. Now, um, if we take that then back to Acts, the book of Acts, and we read our New Testament back into the situation, Peter has that vision in chapter 10 in Acts, and God has this big sheet that comes down out of the sky and all these different foods on it, and he says to Peter, come up, get up and eat. Um, and he's like, surely not, i have never touch any unclean thing. And then when Peter finally comes to Cornelius' house, this Gentile guy who has no place with God, What does God say? Well, what does Peter realise that vision was about? He doesn't say, now I know that all food's committed. He says, now I know God accepts all people. And he doesn't just um, treat only one group of people. He accepts all nations. So the food laws we learn from that passage were never about just not eating food because. It was about them being a separate nation, different from the other nations. And God says, now he accepts everyone. So there's no food unclean. There's no... There's no need for them to be this separate nation community because it's not about uh,
3: ethnicity anymore. It's about God's people through trusting in Christ. If you come up with the early church about whether Gentiles like
0: should Absolutely, absolutely. Paul says it'll be of no use to you. Like if you start adding to Christ, you know, other criteria to be part of the in crowd, um, it'll be absolutely of no use to you. you know? So. Um, so God sets these laws, a covenant for His people, um, laws of which you know are meant to be followed um, for them to be continue to be part of this distinct nation that He set up. Um, and for us now, yeah, it's it's completely different. We're just faith. we're, we're safe through trusting Christ and Christ alone. Is that clear? I'm not 100% sure if I'm being clear. We're going to address it in our
1: in our series, Riley. Is there some analogy between Christ's servant and Jew? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And he unpacks Ten Commandments, well, yeah. by and large, he does. Yeah, I think so. Sweet. Christina. So, I'm going that the election was for the Hebrews of being saved in the Old Testament
3: and Israel they kind of covered sins. Yeah. Think that, okay, if the sins were covered, that's, covered Yeah. Because you know, Jesus sacrifice. What Yeah.
0: Sacrifice yeah. Um, I think it's in the letter of Hebrews. I mean, some people might be better at me than doing this. Um talks about how the blood of bulls can never really atone for sins, you know. So I think God gives his people the sort of means of um, relating to him and, I guess, acting in faith towards him, um, which ultimately will be resolved through Christ. You know, So God is able to accept their faith and trust in him. He gives them this means, this symbol that's meant to point ultimately to Christ. Um, and they do it, and in the future, with Christ's death, he's able to forgive. Like Romans, I think it's 3.23, talks about how God overlooked former um, sins and trespasses against him because of the coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that passage. So I think, yeah, God gives us gives them these means of relating to him, this covenant arrangement for his special relationship with them, um, which includes the temple, includes sacrifices, and and um, different things. Sorry. No,
3: I'm just saying, but have to be. But what he wants
0: is faith, really.
3: Yeah, because they require all that. Yeah. Which.
0: Which is what chapter 50, uh, Psalm 50 talks all about, isn't it? God says, enough of your sacrifices. Like, if I want, I, do I drink the blood of goats or bulls? Like, I own everything. Offer to your Lord a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving and give praise to your blood. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. He says, I'm sick of all your sacrifices. They're just infuriating me. What I want is you to give thanks to me. I want you to love me. I want you to trust me. So, um, but I think the sacrificial system is meant to be a means of grace. It's meant to be pointing to things of Christ and I think it's meant to be um, symbolic of what Christ will do. I think that's how I'm it. Yeah, no, Mike Thompson's probably the best person to be asking these questions.
3: Yes, something Yeah. to be done. I mean that has to get
0: right, yeah, Absolutely.
3: It's not that easy to just come and see and Yeah. Needs to
0: suffer in a yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, which is probably I mean that example of the innocent heifer being having its neck broken. It's like the shedding of that person who's being murdered. Like there's a cost to that. There's blood that's been spilled and it stains and then Something must be done to cover it. And it's so interesting considering that analogy of the ritual of washing the hands in and um, over the innocent heifer because. It just ties on so many levels back to the blood guilt that Israel has when you look at the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, uh, What does Pilate do when they say crucify him, crucify him? He's had enough, he's scared. He then washes his hands and says, his blood be upon you. And then what do the people say? They said, yes, his blood upon us and upon our children as well. Um, You know, this idea of blood, staining and blood being need to shed. And the interesting thing about Jesus is it's not only his blood that stains, he's not only the innocent man whose blood stains and is on our hands, but it's also the blood that cleanses at the same time as well, you know. Um, the blood that washes us
3: white as snow. I think if you look at the report even in the Old Testament, the God kind of prophets, yeah. I think that's where the is. You know, right. just follow the mm-hmm. the mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. God's looking for people that will trust him. Mm-hmm. And I think um, Abraham is a classic example. Abraham believed in God, I think it's uh, Genesis 15, and God credited to him as righteous. He righteousness those righteous as being just mm-hmm. in His account. And I think that's the way God operates with people. Not, He doesn't treat them according to following laws. He's concerned with their heart and trusting. them. Sweet. Well, that's all for us. I want to finish it up there. Um, Andrew, would you mind maybe praying for us, brother, before we... You yeah, should sure. Lord help us. I just, you know, Preparing for this has given me a whole new level of respect for Mikey. Um, it's really hard. Like, I don't know how he, how he does it. So I'm sorry if I didn't really answer questions. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> Again, Father, pray.
1: can you pray? Yeah, sure. Well, Lord Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you're our, our Father who's uh, chosen us, who's brought uh, you through the book of Deuteronomy, Lord, just informed us that we're uh, so undeserving of your love, but yet, you, yet, Lord, your grace is so much uh, greater than that, you've, you've loved us and, and, and shined your cared upon us. Um, Lord, thank you. Uh, and we just pray, Lord, that this be the next day of the book of Deuteronomy in the coming months. Uh, in that devotion, uh, reading, uh, what well, that you would um, give us a, a bigger picture of you, uh, of your amazing love for us, uh, the love that you've shown Israel despite their continuous uh, rebellion. Uh, what well, that uh, you have continued to, continue to uh, show them that that grace, and, uh, and, uh, and that grace, um, also it help us to get yeah, grasp at the bigger picture of that uh, um, grace. That's uh, what we think may visualize in thankfulness and visualize in praise, uh, in, in, in our everyday life. So Lord, give us, uh, your spirit to help us digest and understand You. And, uh, we, uh, thank you and
2: Amen. Amen.